From the first chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 35 and following the account of John and Andrew meeting Jesus after hearing John the Baptist. Again the next day after John the Baptist stood and two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked by said, Look, look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples, that's John and Andrew, heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you looking for? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means master or teacher, where do you live? And he said to them, Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. And they came and saw where he stayed and stayed with him that day, and it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. What happened to John and Andrew, I pray to God, will happen to each one of us in this hour of worship. We'll have a fresh, revitalizing encounter with him. Lord, for this word we do give you thanks, and for the living word we give you praise everlasting. Use the example of these two men to be an example and an inspiration and encouragement to each of us to come and see what great things you give to those who love and trust you. Give us a willing spirit and open hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you like ice cream? Can I see your hand? Would you hold it up? Um, how many of you, I, I like ice cream. I like it a lot, but I like low-fat yogurt. Now, how many of you like yogurt? Can I see your hand? Good. Wonderful. I'm not going to preach long. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> but uh, I do want to talk to you. I heard, I don't know who said it. It's probably my son. I don't know. But, um, if you leave, I'll get you. I'll guarantee you. <laughs> You'll need Pepto-Bismol by 2 o'clock if I... How, how do you know you like ice cream? I mean, how... Did you read the history of ice cream? Did you know who, who, who first made ice cream? Uh, who started ice cream? How did it happen? Do you know anything at all about the history of ice cream? I don't. How do you know you like ice cream? Because you know the background, you know the history, you know... You did what? Tasted it. Somebody said it. You tasted it. You know it's good because, not just because somebody told you, they may have recommended it, and that's terrific. They may even have said, here it is, it's a gift. But the reason you held your hand up a moment ago, whether it was ice cream or yogurt or whatever, it's because it tasted good. Now, I want to invite you to something and to someone better than ice cream and yogurt and anything else that can happen in your life, and that is to know God's great dessert, Jesus Christ, and to know him and to love him and to taste him and to experience and trust him, and he'll bring joy in your life better than any ice cream or yogurt you've ever eaten. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see 
that the Lord is good. The gospel from beginning to end is an invitation. It's an invitation to try him. He says that, just try me, give me a chance. Taste me. You don't even have to take a big bite, just taste. Just start. And see if I do not do greater things in your life than you've ever had happen before. Just give me a chance in your heart. Give me a chance in your life. Give me a chance in your mind. Give me an opportunity in your relationship. Just chance it. Taste. Try and see what happens in your life. That's what he said to those first two disciples. We read about them a moment ago from the first chapter of John. The Apostle John, later known as the Apostle John, and Andrew, the younger brother, Simon Peter, who was responsible for telling Simon about Jesus, they just heard John the Baptist say, there's somebody, look at him. And they went out and began a conversation and they said, where do you come from? He didn't answer them at that point. They weren't ready for doctrine then. What they needed was a relationship. That would come later and John would later write, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. But at that point, Jesus did not lay any theology upon them. He didn't tell them to go to church. He didn't tell them to stop this and start that. He gave them an invitation to do what? Come and try me. Just come and see. See if I won't make a difference in your life. And it made such an impact upon them that John remembers the hour of the day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And suddenly they tasted God's dessert, life, like they'd never known it before and never would know it in the religion to which they had been adhering. They'd found the giver of life. And life then for them was forever different. The gospel's an invitation. Now in a few moments we're going to have an invitation here. It's not my invitation. It's not the church's invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. We invite you to trust Him, to taste Him, to try Him. You say, well, Bugner, I don't understand much about Christian doctrine. You probably understand more than John and Andrew understood that day on the shores of the Jordan River when they first came to trust Jesus and met Him. They just started. Christianity is tasting. It's just testing. It's just starting out. It's a relationship. You say, well, I, I don't know whether I want to join this church or another one. That's okay. You don't have to join this church. We're not talking about joining the church unless that's what you want to do. We're urging you to trust Jesus. Taste him. Try him. Say, I'll do it. I'll start following him and see if it works out in my life. Give him a chance. That's all. And when people come down the aisle, as they did in the early service, they make decisions. I've had people say, well, what do they do when they sit down there? What do you say to them? Do you have to have something memorized? Do you have to come with a, a list of references? Uh, do you have to tell how much you weigh or something like that? Well, no, we don't ask you that. You wouldn't tell us the truth anyway, and we don't want you <laughs> putting fabrication down there. Like we just get your name and address and talk to you a little bit about what you want to do and the decision you're making. Just, just do it. Whether it's to join this church, you've been thinking about it for a long time, maybe planning it, wanting to do it, just do it. We're going to sing in just a little while, and the gospel is an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you need to follow through on that. You need to come on and to do that. Because you see, Christianity is a person. It's not a religion. Christianity is a person. Christianity is not a plan. It's a person. Now, the person has a plan for our lives. But Christianity is not a religion. 
Because religion is something men do, it's certain works that they perform, certain words they memorize, certain buildings they frequent. That may be religion and can be a good thing if it's an expression of a relationship, but it can never be a substitute for the relationship. Christianity is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Just try him. Give him a chance in your life. Just taste and see that the Lord is good, real good, better than ice cream, better than yogurt, better than anything you've ever had. He's the bread of life and the water of life. Try him. Because Christianity is not only a person, it's a choice. You can be offered ice cream, you can be invited to a party, but you've got to respond. It's a choice. You've got to choose to say, I will. I'll try it. I'll give it a chance. With as much of me as I understand, I will trust to as much of him as I comprehend. That's it. And everybody here this morning is going to make that kind of decision. Now, you may or may not make a decision or need to make a decision to trust Christ for the first time. You may already have done that. But you may need to renew that commitment to him again today to say, Lord, I am trusting you. If I have never trusted you before, I trust you now. With more of my heart than I know now, I trust to you. I give my heart and my life to you. To just tell him, make the decision to say down inside, Jesus, I do love you. You said it when you were 10 or 11 or 12 or 20 or whenever it was, you made that initial commitment to Jesus. Tell him again that you love him. Make the decision today to tell the Lord every day that you love him. That's a good rule to follow with people that we love. It's a good thing for me to say to Martha and Martha to say to me, Martha, I love you. We say that every day. I love you. Don't be like the fellow who talking to his wife, and she said, do you love me? And he said, sure, I love you. Didn't I tell you that when we got married? <laughs> she said, yeah, that's been 20 years ago. He said, if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> That'd be tough to live with somebody like that, wouldn't it? Tell them. You trusted the Lord 20 years ago? Trust him again today. Say, Lord, I do. I trust you. I give my heart and my life to you. And because you mean so much to me, I'm going to recommend you to some friends I've got. That's what witnessing is. A witness is not somebody who understands all the Bible. You don't have to know a thing in the world about the law to be a witness. Jesus did not call us to be his advocates. He may have called a few to be involved in Christian apologetics and the proofs of the faith and all that sort of thing. He called a few and equipped a few to do that, but he called all of us to be a witness. And a witness in a court of law does not have to have memorized Blackstone's commentary on the English law. You don't have to know a thing in the world about the law to be a witness. All you have to do is just tell what you know. Something happened to me. This is the best ice cream I've ever eaten. This yogurt's terrific. Try it. Do you ever recommend movies to anybody? Have you seen Dances with Wolves? I'm recommending that movie to you right now. Marvelous story. Do you ever recommend food to somebody? 
Do you ever recommend a book to somebody? I imagine we do. How long has it been since you recommended Jesus to somebody? Best friend you've ever had? Loves you unconditionally and eternally? Gives you strength in those hours when you need him? Just tell about it. That's what witnessing is. I'm not talking about getting the Bible and beating people over the head and telling them that they're going to hell or something like that. That's not witnessing. Just share what Christ has done just in a word of recommendation. Don't preach down to people. No, we're not better than anybody else. We're just forgiven by God's grace and we want everybody to experience the same gift. That's all. So it's a choice. And you're going to make a decision today. Everybody in this room is going to make a decision of some sort. It's inescapable. We're going to say yes or no. There is no such thing as spiritual neutrality. We're either going to say yes or no to trusting the Lord. We're either going to say yes or no to doing that which he's leading us to do. We're either going to say yes or no. To say maybe, to say tomorrow, is to say no. Call it by its right name. There is no such thing as spiritual neutrality. In fact, neutrality can be a very insidious and pernicious enemy. You cannot be neutral. Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Are you with him? Against him. Are you a gatherer? Do you try to bring people to light and life and love? Are you a troublemaker, a scatterer, sow seeds of discord? You and I have that choice to make, and we cannot postpone it. To postpone it is to say an emphatic no. For example, you get an invitation to a party, and down at the bottom it says those four letters, RSVP, uh, responde si vous play, is what I think it, un it means in, in French. In English it means tell us whether you're coming or not. Are you going to be there or not? Well, you can call up and say yes, or you can call up and say no, or you can just throw the invitation in the wastebasket and say, I'm going to be neutral. I'm not going to say yes or no. But you throw that invitation in the wastebasket, you still miss the party. You've disguised the no with procrastinationism. Don't let that happen. For Christianity is a choice and it's a choice that only you can make. Your parents cannot make it for you. The church as an institution and organization and fellowship and body cannot make it for you. I cannot make it for you. A priest cannot make it for you. A husband or wife cannot make it for you. Everybody has to make his or her own personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Someone cannot make that decision by proxy for you any more than they can take a bath for you or brush their teeth for you or eat for you, or go to school for you. They can encourage you, they can set an example, they can try to teach, they can try to witness, but you've got to decide, I will do it. It's a choice. And that choice always involves a change. It begins as a change of attitude toward God. And that's what Simon Peter tells us, who was later introduced to Jesus by his younger brother Andrew, who was in that first encounter we've already re referred to when they met Jesus. And Simon Peter later wrote to us and to the church at, at large these words in 1 Peter. That's the first letter that he wrote, which is what it means. This is what he says. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speakings, 
as newborn babes desire the sincere, that's undiluted, uncontaminated, the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be, and here comes the word again, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, some good things are going to begin to happen in your life. You're going to get rid of some of the junk food that's been cluttering up your life, and progressively you're going to move to a healthy diet, and over a period of time you're going to become stronger and stronger and stronger if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, I know people who didn't taste of a gracious God in their growing up days. I keep running into people who were fed a different kind of God by well-meaning and conscientious and sincere uh, family or friends or church or whatever it, uh, it was. I, I attribute to them the best of intentions, but I know people who grew up being fed a mad God, a bad God, a sad God, They've not met the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ if they're like that. He's glad, not sad. Come to give us life. He's for us. He is with us. He loves us. I will never forget a single adult in our church who stopped me on the parking lot downtown two or three years ago now. And he said, uh, Buckner, I cannot tell you how much I'm enjoying Trinity the singles ministry there, and he said, it's just, I feel a, a place of acceptance and love, and said, just making all the difference in the world in my life. And I said, well, we thank God for that and for our leadership, like Ron Hill, who just sang a moment ago, and tremendous work that he and so many others are, are doing. And he said, you know, Buckner, I grew up in the Bible Belt. I said, well, I, I kind of figured that I did too. I grew up in Dallas. That's the buckle on the Bible Belt is in Dallas. <laughs> And uh, that's why they're all tight up there, you know. Fundamentalism has kind of got them buckled down. Um, he said, no, I mean uh, Bible belt. Uh, by that I mean I grew up where they had the Bible in one hand and the belt in the other, and they were beating on me with both of them all the time, trying to get me to change. Uh, force is not going to change you. The law cannot change you or me. The most powerful force in the world is the power of love, the power of a good and gracious God. And if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, it will be the love of Christ that constrains you, as Paul says. Not the fear of Christ, not the judgment of Christ, not the condemnation of Christ, but the love of Christ. When you find out that God is gracious and loving kindness is characteristic of his forgiving person, all of life is different. Stuff starts going out as new life starts coming in. And Simon Peter says that. Did you hear what he's saying? Wherefore laying aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speakings. Now, if you try to get rid of those things on your own, you'll never make it. If we try to get rid of those things through religion, you can't do it. You can repent every day of being, having malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and evil speakings, and it won't change a thing. Hear me. Repentance is impotent to produce new life. Repentance can become detrimental to your life if it is not followed immediately and instantaneously by something positive to replace that which you are repenting of. Jesus told a parable, illustrates it perfectly. This fellow had this house and had some devils in it, so he cleaned them all out, ran them all out, got the place spick and span, 
all fixed up. He didn't put anything in there. So those guys went out and got their cronies and came back in the house with seven times worse than it had been before. Same thing, same thing can happen to you and to me. If we think, oh, I've just got to repent. I've got to stop this and I've got to stop that. You try to live on an empty life, it won't work. Those old things that keep coming back, it's like trying to get rid of your headache by cutting off your head. How do you not think a thought? When you tell yourself not to think a thought, you're thinking the thought to tell yourself not to think it. You end up on a, on a treadmill. You see, the gospel, what Jesus Christ has come to do is not repress those, that malice and that guile and hypocrisy and envy and evil speakings and any other stuff that's in our lives that clutters us up, that junk food that ruins us. He's not come to repress that. He's come to replace that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the positive power of replacement. How do you get the darkness out of this room? You can't come in here and just preach against the darkness and curse the darkness and beat on the darkness. That won't do it. You've got to put light in here. And the more light you put in here, the less darkness there is in this room. We still have darkness in here. We still have shadows. This room's not yet full of light. If it were, there would be no shadows. You see, the, the darkness is dissipated by the penetrating power of light. Same thing happens in your life and mine. Light is active, not static, just like love. And when God's love begins to fill our hearts and our lives, it begins to replace all of those old dark shadows. And like the, the, the life of that tree rising in the spring pushes off the old dead leaves. You don't have to, the tree doesn't have to go out there and beat itself to get rid of the dead leaves. The new life will get rid of the dead leaves. Replacement. The power of Christ to replace. My goodness, look what he'll do. He'll take malice out of our lives. Can you imagine what the news would be, how different the news would be today? How different our world would be today if there were no malice, anger, malice, maliciousness, malevolent, malignant, those are all the same root. Malice. Oh, think what could happen in our homes if there were no malice. Guile, that means deception or hypocrisy. They're almost first cousins. That's pretending one thing but acting another. It's professing like a saint but practicing like Satan's. It's like having the hands of Esau and the voice of Jacob. It's deception, veneer kind of religion. Hypocrisy and deception, deceiving ourselves and trying to deceive others. Occasionally you still hear someone say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And I, uh, I take issue with that. I've known a few. I think I have known a few. I'm not, I'm not up here to judge. I'm just, as the Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. You can't help but be a fruit inspector at times. And you just see that some things are, some things are not right. Well, I don't know many people who are consciously and intentionally hypocrites. I do know a lot of imperfect people in the church. In fact, everybody I know in it, including myself, is imperfect. And hypocrisy and imperfection are not synonyms. Not at all. Hypocrisy is pretending that we're something we're not the fact that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that we are imperfect people, 
the very recognition of that imperfection is the step toward righteousness. In confessing that and saying, oh God, I've got some shatters in my life. I have the light in my life. I know Jesus Christ, but I have some hanging on stuff, guile, hypocrisy, envy. My soul, think what a difference it would be in the American economy today if we'd not been eaten up with envy and greed for the past quarter of a century. Greed, envy. Evil speakings. Evil speaking. Heard about this person. They said of him, he has a keen sense of rumor. <laughs> People always looking for the worst and then talking about it. Enjoying other people's imperfections because it makes them feel better about their own. We, we're all in this boat together. As G.K. Chesterton said, and I often quote, and we owe one another terrible loyalty, and our loyalty is to Jesus Christ and to each other to become all that God wants us to be as we continue to be filled up with this great grace and graciousness and forgiveness that he gives to us. It's a marvelous thing. Got some habits that are getting the best of you? Let Jesus Christ build up inside of you, and he'll give you strength, and God's people around you will give you strength. That's why we have so many support groups in the life of this church, because all of us need it at one time or one place, under one circumstance or another. We're all here as imperfect men and women. And so if you admit imperfection, if you say, I'm not all that I want to be, you're at home, friends. You found a Savior in Jesus Christ, and you found a family in Trinity Baptist Church. That's not to say I want you to help me stay the way I am. I don't. I want you to help me become all that God wants me to be, and I want to help you, and we all help each other to become all that God has planned for us in his ideal pattern for our lives. And so we are able to lay aside malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and evil speakings because we're eating ice cream of God's grace. We've tasted that the Lord is gracious and good and loving and he comes like light and love to push out all the old darkness that clutters our lives and hurts our relationships. This week I reread the first chapter of the book of Genesis. The first chapter of the book of Genesis. And what impressed me was how many times it says the word let. God said let there be light. And there was light. God, see, light was always potential, but it had to become. And God said, let it happen. Let there be heaven and earth. Let there be land and water. Let there be sun and moon. Let there be plants. Let there be animals. Let us make man in our own image. Let it happen. Fourteen times in the first chapter of Genesis you'll read that word. Let, 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 let. God's potential right now in your life and in mine. What we need to do is just let it happen. That impulse that you have inside to give your heart and your life to the Lord, that impression you have to make some things straight in your relationships with other people, let it happen. 
For that is the God force, the Christ force, the light force, the love force. And he has come to create us and make us new. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Some of you may have grown up in an atmosphere where you sang the little chorus that I want us to sing for just a moment. Elner, you get over there to the piano. I'm tempted almost to sing a solo, but I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to stun anybody in this. How many of you remember, let go and let God have his wonderful way. Let go and let God have his way. Your burdens will vanish, your night turns to day. Let go and let God have his way. Would you do that, Clark? Come on, sing with me. I mean, I've had the same key that you're going to sing it in. If you know that, just remain seated. If you know that, just remain seated and just sing that little chorus. And let's not only sing it, let's do it. Sing it together. Come on. Let go and let God have I'll be right here to greet you. Sing it, Clark. Let go and let God 